0: Well, if we haven't met yet, my name is Pastor Cliff, and I'm the high school pastor here, and I get to serve on a weekly uh, basis in the basement. Now, this is what I love about Youth Takeover Weekend, is I think a lot of us in this room probably don't understand, or maybe we do, that we have a basement here at Bridgeway. We have a basement. I know a lot of us don't really want to go to the basement because, you know, we have to go down, and it's, you know, not well in, you know, Air is flow is not very good, and there's smelly people down there. But we do have a basement, and uh, we have a student ministries both high school and middle school. We we have services on Wednesday nights, Saturday nights, and even on Sunday mornings. And what's great about this weekend is they get to see what church is like on ground level, right? And they also get to serve you all, which I think is amazing. We have um, students serving in kids way cameras everywhere behind the scenes everywhere they're just serving. And if you're you're here today and you are a parent of one of these teenagers, I just want to say you should be so proud of them. You really should. Uh, about a month ago is when we started signups and every week we just had students coming in, I want to serve, I want to serve, I want to do that, I want to be that cool, cool person with an earpiece for security, you know, I want to hang out with kids. Um, they just really wanted to serve and uh, I look forward to this this weekend every year because I get to show to you guys how proud I am of your students. They're just amazing. I have the best job in the world because I get to hang out with them. And as Pastor Lance and I were discussing and talking about when youth takeover was going to take place, what weekend, um, I found out that it fell on a weekend where we were in between series. If you heard here this last weekend, Pastor Matt led us through the end of our Micah series. And we closed it on a bang, and he ended it extremely well. Next week, we're going to start a new series. But today, you get to hear from me in a passage that's been on my heart for a while. Um, and you get to hear something that is very important, not only to my life, but every person in here. And uh, Pastor Lance, I just want to say thank you. And uh, I hope you don't regret giving me this opportunity. All right. <laughs> cool. We are in... 1 John chapter 3. We're in 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 11. I titled my sermon this weekend, We're All in This Together. Now, there's a couple reasons why I did that. One, I think it's appropriate, as it's youth takeover weekend, for us to give a nod to a very popular um, movie series called High School Musical. Okay, they They sang this song in the first movie, um, we're all in this together. Yeah. Okay. If you know what I'm talking about, okay, great. If you don't have your students show you, it's a great movie it really depicts high school super well. Um, <laughs> but the main reason why I titled it, we're all in this together is the topic that we're talking about today. Every single person in this room has the responsibility to take action. Every single person in this room has the same responsibility to do and to go after what we're talking about. And as I was praying uh, through this weekend, a very important story came up in my mind. This last September, I had the amazing opportunity to go to Israel with Pastor Matt and some of um, Bridgeway members. And let me tell you, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. And if you're here today and you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to go on the May 2019 trip, I really would con- ask you to consider going. I know it's, it's really far away. I know it's, it's a, maybe a lot of money for a lot of us, but let me tell you, it is so worth it. That trip changed my life. The reason why I bring that up is one specific day on that trip I will never, ever forget. You see, Pastor Matt came out to me. He's like, Cliff... You, are you, do you want to preach when we get to the Mount of Beatitudes, where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount? Do you want to preach there? And my first reaction was, yes, of course I do. I get the opportunity to speak on where Jesus preached the best sermon ever. Um, yes, sign me up. And as I was doing research and really um, asking the Lord what he wanted me to say and listening to our, our guide Ronan talk about the context of the Sermon on the Mount, I really, I took a pause because I think a lot of us, when we think about the Sermon on the Mount, we know what Jesus says, but I don't think we understood the whole gravity of what he was saying to who he was saying it to. The reason why I say that is the context in that time when Jesus was on this earth is almost every person was upset and angry with everybody else. You see, at the time, we had the Romans, right? We had the Romans who were controlling everything. And the Jews were getting upset because the Romans were, were hurting how they were truly worshiping God. And they weren't having freedom. So this group called the Zealots would come out and they would rebel against the Romans. And try to win and fight for their freedom. And you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees trying to uphold the law and the Torah and what it says in Leviticus. But nobody really listened to them. So if you ever walked down the streets in Jerusalem, you wouldn't be happy seeing the person who's walking by. You would be upset because for some reason you disagreed with who they were. You didn't agree with what they believed in. And so your whole goal to live your life when Jesus was on this earth was to truly just survive and make sure that everybody else stays at arm's length. But then what does Jesus do? On one random day... He goes up a random mountain, he turns around, he preaches to hundreds, if not thousands of people, and he says this, love your enemies, blessed are the peacemakers. Stop thinking about yourself, stop worrying about yourself, think about others. And this whole concept revolutionized the thought process of every person sitting there. You see, I can even picture myself listening to Jesus, being like, I'm not going to love my enemies. Do you know what the Romans are doing to me and my family? I cannot sleep at night because I'm trying to protect my family from someone breaking in. I'm not going to love my enemies. No way. Jesus, you don't understand. And as Jesus is, is preaching this, you hear in the background Romans with hammers And blacksmiths welding all the armor together to get ready for battle. And then Jesus says, let's love our enemies. Reason why I tell you this story is I I believe today that God is calling us to try to change our mindset on how we live out this one simple word. And that is love. Today as I was, I was was praying, Lord, what do you want for this weekend? This one-off message. He said, Cliff, I want you to tell my church, to start rethinking how we live out this word, love. Because here's the reality. In in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus presents this idea as followers of God. We need to lower ourselves and push others up. That's his whole theme throughout the, the whole Sermon on the Mount. We need to push ourselves down in order to push others up. And that leads us to the fill in the blank that's on the app and also on the bulletin that was handed to you at the front door. Sacrificial love is not normal. Sacrificial love is not normal. And I think all of us, we we could agree with that statement. Because anytime we, we try our best to be sacrificial, everybody else in our lives don't get it. Man, what are, you, what are you trying to do? Why are you giving up this thing? Well, I, I'm trying to be sacrificial. Well, that doesn't make sense. Even in Jesus' time when he was calling his people and his disciples to, to live a life sacrificially, they're like, wait, that's not normal. That doesn't make any sense to me. One of the main authors and spokesperson of love in this modern era is a guy named Bob Goff. If you've, heard of, if you've heard of him before, he preaches all over the country, travels the world, and, and just proclaims love to people. And I love Bob Goff because he just stands up in thousands of people with a Boston Red Sox hat on, and he just goes up and he goes, you guys love. That's pretty much a sermon. And there's nothing great about Bob. He's just a dude, but it's significant what he's speaking on. Cause I think a lot of times the church, we talk about love and we talk about the importance of truly loving people, but I don't know if we know what it means to live this out. But Bob Goff says this, love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning it. Simply put love does. love does. Bob Goff wrote a book entitled that. This whole book is, is just story after story of this weird dude named Bob, just going up to people and loving them and loving them with his actions. It's amazing. I I encourage you to read it if you have time, but let's dive into this first John passage and the context of John. If you don't know, John is, was the youngest disciple youngest disciple he's the man that as soon as jesus ascended into heaven he was going all out for jesus he was preaching all over the land saying telling people after people hey listen to me let me tell you about this man that taught me everything let me tell you about this man who died on the cross for you man john was on fire for jesus and all over asia he was planning churches and preaching and telling people about jesus But at one moment as he was traveling in Asia, he got he got word that some of his churches were infiltrated by false teachers. And these false teachers were going up to people and saying, they knew God but didn't act like it. And then they even went to a point and said, ah, Jesus really isn't the Savior. We're still waiting for him to be the Savior. And so John writes this entire book. A A lot of commentators don't really call it an epistle. It's more of a sermon. And he writes this sermon because he's generally concerned for the spiritual welfare of his church, of his people that he's invested a lot of time into. I think any of us in this room, if, if we've invested a lot of time into someone and then they're getting cor- incorrect information afterwards, of course, we're going to do something about it. So John is, is reminding his church what he's called them to and more importantly, what Jesus has called them to first john is just really long kind of long not really that long sermon first john chapter 3 verse 11 says this for this is the message you heard from the beginning we should love one another this word love here is to have brotherly love it's the love you have for your brother in the greek it's called phileo love It's the love that you have for the friend that you've known since you were younger. This love has grown over the years and it's to a point where you're like, I, you're literally my brother or my sister. This is the love that John is talking about. But I want to focus on what he says before that. He says, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. And he's referencing what Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 13. Where Jesus says to his disciples, love one another... For this is a new commandment. See, John in this sermon is reminding his church of what they already know. They already know that they're supposed to love each other. They already know because they remember what Jesus said. But the fact that John points it out is proven that for us, even in our Christian context today, we need to understand our roots before we grow. We have to understand our roots before we grow. We have to understand where we came from. The best example I can tell you with that is when I was younger, I played baseball, soccer, and I played the drums. Now, these three things are very intricate. And if you don't know the basics on any of these things, then you won't be able to to prosper and grow and move forward. For example, a baseball player, he steps up to the batter's box and he's got a lot of things on his mind. He's like, okay, what is the pitcher going to throw to me? Okay, where do I need to put my feet? I need to put my hands correctly. Where's my bat? Like all this stuff, right? And his whole job is to hit a baseball that's coming at him at 98, 99 miles per hour, which I know all of you are like, piece of cake. It's not a piece of cake. You can't just walk up, to a batter's box and hit a baseball that's coming at you that fast. You have to practice. But here's the number one rule of being a professional baseball player and hitting a baseball is you have to keep your eye on the ball. As soon as you keep your eye off the ball, what happens? You don't hit it. If you ever watch a major league baseball game, which I know all of you do because they're really exciting, if you ever watch a game, I guarantee you, if not every batter, every other batter misses the basics because they're standing up there and they're, they do their crazy ritual, whatever it is. And they're up in the batter's box and they swing and they miss. Why? If you look at the, the replay, it's cause whoop, they don't look at the ball and they get paid millions of dollars for that. It's, it's awesome. And then soccer, my, my favorite sport of all time. I love soccer. It's my favorite sport. The basics is if you want to pass the ball, you got to use the inside of your foot. You can't use the outside. You can't use the top. You got to use the inside. And so I always had to remember that as I was dribbling. And I, if I wanted to pass it off to my teammates, I needed to pass with the inside of my foot because that was the fastest and the most accurate way to getting it where I needed to go. Again, I needed to remember the basics to move forward. Then lastly, I'm sure most of you know, being a drummer, you need to have rhythm. And so as a drummer, I had to remind myself I need to have rhythm. And you look at any drummer out there, anyone who you really like as a drummer, they had to start from the basics. And anytime you get too crazy, you're like, oh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. You have to go back to the basics and go to a simple beat. And that's the same argument that John is making here in this passage. He's saying, guys, remember what Jesus said in the beginning. In in the Gospel of John chapter 13, he said, Love one another. Do not forget it. Do not forget it. But then John in the next verse juxtaposes the opposite of what love is. In verse 12, he says this, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother... And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. If you remember that story in Genesis chapter 4, there's this character Cain, and then Abel. Cain's the older brother. Abel is the younger brother, both sons of Adam and Eve. Cain is the man who, who works with his hands. He works in the fields. Abel is the shepherd. He keeps charge of a flock and every day like they always do they go and they sacrifice to God and Abel's sacrifice was his flock the best of his flock the best fat from his flock in fact even sometimes the firstborn of his flock his best he gave to God and then Cain was like Lord I give you the fruits from the soil and we see in scripture in Genesis chapter 4 that God received and accepted Abel's sacrifice but he didn't accept Cain's. Can you imagine can you imagine that if if you're an older sibling or a younger sibling as soon as a younger sibling does something better than the older sibling what happens? Nothing good. <laughs> There's some sort of envious Thing that comes between their relationship i know for me i've never experienced that because my sister's my older sister's perfect at everything but that is beside the point she's not in here either so i can say that so what does cain do he takes his younger brother out to a field and he kills him he allows this envious hatred this jealous hatred to overwhelm him to a point where he kills his younger brother you see Cain is was the first attested murderer who drew his inspiration from the evil one in scripture genesis chapter 4 Cain was the first attested murderer you see Cain being a wicked person he didn't like the fact that Abel was righteous He couldn't deal with that because he didn't understand the difference. In the story in Genesis 4, we don't really see why Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's. But later on in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it gives us just a little bit of an insight as to what happened that day. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith. Now, faith is a word we use all the time in our Christian context. Faith is a word that we, we tell our brothers and sisters, hey, have faith. Remember, God is faithful. Very important word. So if we see that Abel presented his offering by faith, that means that God at some point before told both Cain and Abel his plan and asked them to step out in faith. So Abel took what God said and acted on it. He went out to God. He said, God, I give you my best, the firstborn of my flock, the best fatty calf that I've ever seen in my life, Lord. I give it to you. It's scary because I really need this, but I'm giving it to you. And then Cain's over here saying, God, I give you the fruits from the soil. Why should I change? This is what I've been doing for a while. Why, why should it be any different? And friends, we need to know from this story that we need to live our lives by faith, rather than tradition see abel he he said god i give you this by faith i give you it and i think a lot of times tradition can can trip us up because we're saying okay i need to know i've been doing this for years and years and years i need to continue that i need to keep going keep going keep going how many know when we do something for a long period of time we kind of forget the purpose of it we forget the meaning Don't get me wrong, tradition can be really beneficial sometimes. But if we're not careful, tradition can keep us from what God has truly called us to do. Because here's the scary part of this whole story. This is the part that scares me the most out of anything, is that Cain's punishment was being away from God's presence. Because of what Cain did to his brother, God was like, all right, Cain, you're leaving my presence. And that scares me. Why? Because I love to be in God's presence. Man, that's where I thrive. That's where I feel whole. It's being in God's presence. So, friends, don't be like Cain. Let's move on in verse 13. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. This reminds me of what Jesus again says in the gospel of John chapter 15. Talking about love. He loves that word. Love, love, love. But then in John 16, he takes it a little step further. and He said, guys, listen up. If the world hates you. Remember, they hated me first. If the world persecutes you, remember, they persecuted me first. But then he says, the world obeyed me. So if they did that to me, then they're going to obey you at some point. And I think in the same way as a community of faith, when we start exposing the greed and the hatred and the wickedness of the world, we must expect rejection. And this whole idea of, oh, if the world's going to hate you, is not a what-if statement. It's a it's going to happen statement. The world is going to hate you. Why? Because they don't understand this whole idea of sacrificial love because sacrificial love is not normal. But notice this. John is saying that the world's going to hate you, but that doesn't mean that we hate them back. And I think one of the best stories i can tell you that gives us the best example of changing our mindset and seeing the repercussions of it is a story in acts chapter 10 acts chapter 10 there's this dude named peter i love peter he's one of my favorite characters in the bible because if i'm like oh man i'm having a bad day or i really messed up well peter messed up all the time (laughs) and god built his church on him so i love peter he's great but peter one day he goes up on the top of his, his house and he's praying to the Lord. And then he gets hungry. And then Peter does something that anybody else does when they're hungry. They fall asleep and dream of food. Anytime I'm hungry and I'm too lazy to make food, I'm just like, I'm going to dream and act like I'm eating the food in my dream and I'll wake up full. Never works. Never works. But Peter, this is not, this was not a normal dream. It wasn't a normal dream. When Peter goes into this dream, he sees a cloud come from heaven. In that cloud, there's a table and there's animals everywhere running around, four-legged animals, and it looks good, right? And he hears a voice from heaven saying, Peter, get up, kill, eat. But he's like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. I am not allowed to do that. Don't you remember what it says in Leviticus and Deuteronomy? I can't eat anything that's unclean. No, I'm not going to do that. But then he hears the voice again. Says, Peter, get up, kill, eat. At that moment, he hears a knock on his door. And Cornelius, who's a Gentile, who's uncircumcised, sent some of his servants to Peter's house Saying, Peter, come to my master's house so that you can tell us what you know, so that we can hear what you have to say. And in that moment, moment, Peter's like, I get it. God is asking me to change how I preach and to change who I preach to. Not just the Jews anymore, but I need to broaden my horizons to the Gentiles and those who truly don't know you. So Peter's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll go great. So Peter goes to Cornelius's house and he preaches the word and the Holy spirit comes and it's amazing. And people speak in tongues and it's, it's crazy. But then instantly Peter gets rejection, rejection, rejection. People come to to Peter and they're like, dude, why are you doing that? Why are you going to an uncircumcised man's house, a Gentile's house? They don't deserve that. They don't understand what you're saying. Why are you doing that? So in Acts, we see that Peter defends himself and later on the people who he was talking to understand and praise God for it. But in the same way, as Peter had to change his mind and eventually There was rejection. We have to expect rejection from the world. You see, John is encouraging them to love despite the fact that that they're going to be objects of the world's hatred. But here's what John is saying. Let the world hate. We're going to love. Let the world hate. We're going to love. Don't worry about defending yourself or, or defending something that's really important to you. Just love back because we know the world's going to come and say something, but our response should always be in love. Let the world hate. We're going to love. Last part of this verse here says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And I think this sentence begs the question, does loving others create our salvation? And I just want to touch on this just for a moment. And I don't believe that loving others creates our salvation. In fact, spiritual life does not result from loving our brothers. But loving our brothers and sisters is the evidence, not the basis for spiritual life. I think John Piper says it best when he says, both doctrine and ethics are at the heart of the gospel because they are so intrinsically linked. So what that means is we can't just all be focused on doctrine all the time and have no ethics. But also we can't just talk about ethics all the time and have no doctrine. They're linked together. So again, John is calling his church and he's calling us today to both know doctrine and ethics. It's important. Extremely important. Let's move on to to verse 14b. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You know, I picked this passage. And I got to this verse and I was like, oh no. There's words like hate, murderer, death. And these are words that make us uncomfortable. I know for me, they make me uncomfortable. Anytime I'm reading the word and I come across these words, I'm like, "Eh, skip. Where's the life part? I like hearing that stuff. Where's the life stuff where Jesus loves us and he gives us life? Yeah, that makes me feel good. How many know that sometimes the Bible is not created to make us feel good? Because John is making a very important statement. He's saying that love and hatred are mutually exclusive. And there's no middle ground. So what that means is, is John is saying, we need to keep hatred over here. Keep it way over here. And then the love, the true part of our souls, we should stay over here. And there's no middle ground. There's no in between. You can't love and hate somebody at the same time. Because here's what's happened. When you hate somebody, you don't want them to be around. Think about it. Some of us, most of us probably in here have hated someone in our lives. We don't want them to be around. In fact, some some of us would go and just say that we don't even want them to be alive. So John is saying here very importantly that if I hate somebody, I am no different from a murderer in the attitude toward him. Man, that's really intense. But here's a big note. If you're taking notes, just put big note. John is not talking about that first instinct of hatred towards a person. He's not talking about that when you're driving on the road one day and somebody cuts you off, right? And you're like, I hate that guy. And you come home and you realize, I don't really hate them. He's talking about this idea that you're habitually hating someone. And maybe some of you are in here, you're thinking of that person right now who you don't like. And when, and when you're having conversations about that person, you stop yourself and you're like, man, I really, I really, really dislike that person very much. Right? Because we don't want to use the hate word because we know God doesn't like us to do that. But in our hearts, we mean it. And I think today, God is asking us to start that process of reconciliation. Because there is no way that we are fully going to understand this sacrificial love if we have hate in our hearts. Because both love and hatred are mutually exclusive. There is no middle ground. Because here's the reality, hatred in its nature is very destructive. And hatred even may become murderous, which is so scary. I saw a commentator say that eventually if we ever have jealousy, that jealousy turns into hatred, and sometimes that hatred turns into murder. Murder. And so we have to really be mindful and take captive our thoughts. Because if we aren't careful, that jealousy turns into hatred, and then we get to a point where we're like Cain and we let it all boil over, and we make a decision that none of us want to. So Bridgeway, I beg of you, take your thoughts captive. And this word murder here In this verse, in the Greek, that word is only used two times in the New Testament. One time it's here. The other time is in the the Gospel of John chapter 8, where where Jesus is talking about the enemy, saying that he was the murderer since day one. Man, so this word is even more intense than I thought it was. Because the only time it's used is in reference to the evil one. Yikes. John is not denying the possibility of forgiveness and repentance of a murderer. He's just saying that if we want to take a life, then we need to forfeit our own. Love, light, life need to stay over here. And hatred, darkness, wickedness need to stay over here no middle ground. Let's move on. First John chapter three, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) We're past the hard part. We talked about hatred. We talked about murder, but what about love? What about this love that we know is so important in our walk? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Man, that's the gospel right there. John talks about this man who's the good shepherd, who goes out, he leaves a flock where it is, he goes out to that lost sheep and he's like, I'm going to lay down my life. For that lost sheep. And in reality, we all know what Jesus did. Jesus Christ voluntarily gave up his life for ours. And that's so exciting. And John is arguing that, if, okay, if Jesus is the prime example of what love is, because we don't need to talk about a definition of love, we just need to look at the prime example of it, right? Right? If Jesus is our example, then we, as the church, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We need to take the example that Jesus set, and we need to live it out. This word ought, in that first verse 16, is used to convey moral obligation. It's like, okay, we ought to do it, we, we need to. Our moral obligation is to lay down our life. But John is not asking for every person in here to be a martyr. I don't believe that he's asking everybody in here to to lay down physically their life for your brothers and sisters. Now, some of us in this world are called to do that. But not everybody. But I think John is, is arguing the point that we need to get to a point that we are willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So let me ask you this question, Birgway. Are you willing? Are you willing to lay down your life for your brothers and for your sisters? Because right here, that's what John is asking us to do. That's what apparently we're called to do. But then John takes it a step further in verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God being that person again another verse where i was like ouch because i thought about when i first read this verse the culture of our world today we love things we love materials right we get more and more things why because they make us feel good it's not a bad thing they just make us feel good we get more and more things because because our status is higher and we're able to do it because We're blessed. And that's awesome. That's awesome that we have things. But John is like, if we have things and see someone in need and and don't give it to them, then how can the love of God be in that person? You see, I think of one of the best stories I've ever heard Jesus talk about is the Good Samaritan. And many of you know that story where this man is beaten to near death. He's thrown to the side of the road and we see person after person just walk by, ignoring his existence. Not even looking at him, just walking straight, walking straight. Not even taking the time to look until we see the Samaritan. He turns he turns to him, sacrifices his time, surrenders his money, gives up his plan that he had so that in order this person would come back to life. And I think when we talk about sacrificial love, we need to understand that it's accompanied by surrender. Those two things are hand in hand. We're called to surrender because love is sacrificing or surrendering what has value in our life to enrich the life of another. That's what love is. And let me tell you a little something about surrender. When I first start started thinking about this idea of surrender, it definitely made me rethink how I live my life. Because even for you today, maybe you're in here and you're like, oh man, I have a lot of material possessions. Maybe I should give them to someone in need. Maybe you should. Maybe some of you in here are like me. You have way too many clothes. Your closet is full. Maybe the Lord is asking you today to surrender those things to someone who needs them. Who's someone who's not able to afford to get clothes. Maybe there's something in your household or maybe you just need to give up your time. Maybe some of us are holding on to our, our time so much that we don't want to release it. We don't want to surrender. In church, if we see someone in need and we have the ability to help them, we ought to help them. He continues and it kind of ends this passage in verse eighteen. Dear children, dear my my church, my people. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You know, after I, I again, picked this passage and was praying through it, I was asking the Lord, Lord, why is John so intense? Why is he so intense? And I realized it's because his church was hearing from false teachers bad doctrine. And they were being showed bath ethics. And so what was John's idea to help out with that? He was saying, love. We need love. And love sacrificially. See, John was calling them to act now. And today, Bridgeway, we are called to act now now. Don't wait until the end of time. Don't wait until one of your friends starts to initiate it. Don't wait for somebody else to start loving people sacrificially. Why don't you lead these doors today and start living your life the way you're supposed to? About three weeks ago, we had 80 high school students, 75 middle school students, and about 25 elementary school kids go up to this place called Hume Lake Christian Camp. Yeah, it was amazing. It was a really great, powerful time. Just between high school and middle school alone, we had 50 kids get baptized. The Holy Spirit. Yeah, we can clap for that. The Holy Spirit did some amazing things. the reason why I tell you that story is because on the way back, I was, again, as you can see, I try to talk to God as as much as I can, but I fail a lot. I was asking the Lord, I was saying, hey, what do we do now? Because a lot of times when kids go to camp, they have this camp high experience and they're like, yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, God is awesome. And then as soon as school starts, they're like, wait, who's Jesus. I totally forgot what happened. So I was asking, I was like, Lord, I don't want that to happen again. What do we need to do? And he's like, okay, take action. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And he said, I want you to start talking to people about me. So for the past four weeks on Tuesday afternoons, we've having a group of students going to the Galleria and the fountains and telling people about Jesus just talking to them. And it's funny because they come up to me the first week and they're like, Cliff, how do, I, how do I do that? How do I talk to people about Jesus? And I'm like, start with hi. See what else happens. I tell them that if, of anything, if you have a positive contact with someone, then that's a win. Because you're showing that you can have a positive conversation With a teenager, you can have a positive conversation with anyone. And if the Lord wants us to get to Jesus, then we will. And we've had some really awesome conversations the past four weeks, and it's been amazing. But the reason why, again, why I tell you that is what I tell the students every time as we leave and go back home. I say, guys, don't let Tuesday afternoon be the only time that you talk to people about Jesus why don't we start living our lives as we walk wherever we're going instead of viewing strangers as just strangers and viewing them as a son or daughter of Christ who needs to know the love of God? What if instead when we walk down the mall, we're so focused on shopping and material things that we focus on the people whom God has called us to reach? Oh man, that changes how we do things. It changes how we do things. In this verse, it says, let us not love with words or speech. John isn't saying that we shouldn't love with our words or our speech, but our words should be accompanied by intentional action. You know, I'm... I'm an encourager by heart. I love encouraging people. I love using my words because I think a lot of times in our culture today, people don't hear a good job. People don't hear you're great. People don't hear you're loved. And so I, I try my best to tell that to people. But I think a lot of times the Lord has convicted me and they're like, okay, Cliff, if, if I truly love them like you say, then you need to sacrifice your life and spend time with them. You need to sacrifice your time and have a great conversation with them. You need to accompany those words with some action. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And this truth is the gospel. This truth is what binds us all together in this room. This truth is what sets us free. And we have to get to a point where we want to tell everybody about the truth of what Jesus did on the cross. Let us love by telling everybody in our vicinity, by telling everybody in Rosevin, Roseville, Rockland, Lincoln, wherever you live, about the truth of Jesus Christ. We talk about love and we're like, yeah, I love that person. That's great. But do you love them enough to tell them about God? You know, people, a lot of times, they they ask me, they're like, oh, are you a Christian? And I'm like, yeah, I'm actually a pastor. And then they usually just, walk away. Um, which I, I love, I love telling people that I'm a pastor because it's always an interesting conversation. But I think a lot of times in that, co- in, in that talk, I just tell them, I'm like, Hey, I just love you enough to tell you the, the truth. And I think in here today, the Lord loves you enough to tell you the truth. And we, we talked about two specific words today. Hatred and love. Hatred is over here, and it's the world. Its prototype is Cain. It was created by the evil one, and it is, has no fruit attached to it at all. And then over here we have love, which characterizes the church. Its prototype is Jesus, and God created it. And friends, we need to start living into this truth. Too many times have I've heard Christians be hypocritical. Too many times have I had conversations and they're, and they're saying the church is hypocritical. Now, I understand that they have their own context. And maybe they're not fully understanding what you're trying to convey and say to them. But that's not our job. Our job is just to show love. Today, I don't want to condemn. It's not my job. My job is not to judge any of you. But my job, and what God has asked me to do is to shift our mindset and start living a life sacrificially. Bob Goff, again, you guys, love that guy. He says this. Love pursues blindly, unflinchingly, and without end. When you go after something you love, you'll do anything it takes to get it, even if it costs everything. I think it's pretty safe to say that when Jesus came to this earth, humbled himself to be with his people, he gave up everything. He gave up his earthly reputation. He gave up so much pain, and he took on the world's sin on his shoulders. (laughs) I can't even imagine what that felt like. I can't even imagine it. But if God was willing to sacrifice those things, then so should we. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? here's the reality there's a lot of you in this room where you're like when we're talking about hatred you're, you're thinking about that person right that person who you you cannot stand man anytime you think about them you just don't want to i think today god is asking you to surrender that to the lord that relationship and start that process of reconciliation I know it's hard. I know you don't want to do it, but God is asking for you to let go and let the love of God overwhelm you so that you can share the love with that person. doesn't matter whose fault is. It doesn't matter who's the blame. All that matters is you show them that you love them. And more importantly, that God loves them. But if you need prayer for that, that's what these people up here for. If you're like, ma'am, I can't get to a space where, where I can let that go. I need someone to help me. That's what they're, they're, they're here for. And then if you're here too and you're like, okay, I understand this love, but I don't know what it means in my context. I don't know how to maybe love my family better or, or sacrificially love those whom I work with. I'm not quite sure what to do. Then get some prayer. Maybe the Lord is going to speak to you today. And say something to you that you truly need to hear. Because Bridgeway, God loves you so much. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he needs to tell you the truth. Start shifting your mind so that you can live a sacrificial life. Because sacrificial love is not normal. And here's the best part about everything I just said to you. Yes, it's tough stuff, but here's what's amazing. As you sit in a room with many other people who are trying to do the same thing. So if we all get to a point where we're like, okay, I understand that sacrificial love is not normal. I understand. But when I try to love somebody, they don't listen to me. They're like, "Eh, no, I don't want to listen to you happens. Still love them, But then you go to your, your Christian brother or sister whom you go to church with, who's probably sitting to your right or to your left. And you're like, man, this happened today. And they go, I get it. (laughs) Like, I totally get it. I know what you mean. Let's pray for that person right now. And why don't you go out and continue what you're doing? Because we're all in this together. We're all in this thing about sacrificial love together. The world's going to hate us. Let us let them hate. We're going to love. Let Bridgeway go out, outside of these doors and live our lives in a way that every person that we see, we cannot help but tell them of the truth of Jesus and show them what it means to live with surrender. Oh, it's so exciting. I get so excited about preaching this because it's what truly God has asked us to do. And John in this passage, he's encouraging his church and he's encouraging us today to now is the time to take action. So Bridgeway, you're in this together. Why not take action right now? Let's pray. God, you are so graciously good. God, we sit here, in here today and we're just in awe of your spirit. We're in awe of your scriptures. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who have this, this hate in their hearts, who have this hatred in their hearts. God, I pray that you allow them to let it go spirit of hatred be gone in the name of Jesus. Spirit of peace overwhelm every person in this room. God, give them the boldness to go to that person and to start the process where they get back together and they forgive and they cry and they hug and they get to a point where finally they get to see the person whom they've been waiting to see. God, I pray for those in here who are unsure of what sacrificial love means in their context. God, I pray that you give them wisdom in their decision making. God, I pray as they walk out of these doors, they see different scenarios where they can love people with their actions, not only with their words. God, you've asked us to be the light into this world, but sometimes we feel unqualified. But as your scripture says, you qualify the called. So Lord, as we are called to do these things, I I pray that you give us the resources to do so. Allow us to have friends and family who can fall back on and encourage and love as we all do this together. And God, let us proclaim the word of your son all over this place, all over this city all over this region so that we can get this place sacramental to be the place of you and we're so excited to be your feet for that god thank you holy spirit continue to speak in your amazing name we pray amen